Well, Jordan, hello. Happy Halloween. Wow, that was really loud. Okay, let me back off a little bit. Can I back off there? (laughs) Should we start it over? (laughs) No. Do we want to? No. Let the the listeners have to hear what I heard. What was, uh, (laughs) what's the best uh, location here for my, I know if I get really close. I'll just adjust you here on this end. Okay. But yes, you're right. It is Halloween today. Monday, October 31st, 2022, All Hallows' Eve, correct? Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's where it comes from, right? Yeah. I don't know a ton about that. I've, I've been meaning to do some homework on it, and I like a lot of things that I mean to do. I haven't done it. But um, Well, the cross-quarter or the... Uh, they, day that would be commemorated in the ancient world or like by the Celts or the Druids would be Samhain, November 7th. Because that's the midpoint between the equinox and the solstice. Mm-hmm. There's a movie called All Hallows' Eve from 2013. Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. Me neither. It only has two and a half stars on <laughs> IMDb, but it was the first... When you Google All Hallows' Eve, that's the first result. <laughs> let's go to, let's see if we can find, let's see what the source of, our single source of truth, Wikipedia says oh, about I thought you were going to go to New Zealand for this. No, she's, she's my single source of truth, my personal. Your personal truth? Yeah, my personal How source. How does uh, Mrs. Bobby Flood feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's fine, it's fine, because I'm just getting my truth from her mainly to do with like you know she's like my doctor and my psychiatrist all built into one like a medical doctor psychiatrist a financial advisor advisor, yeah yeah i don't get dental advice from her though because (laughs) well (laughs) moving on for obvious reasons let's see halloween or halloween less commonly known as all Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, or All Saints' Eve, is a celebration observed in many countries on 31st October, the eve of the Western Christian feast of All Hallows' Day. It begins the observance of All Hallow Tide, the time in the liturgical year dedicated to remembering the dead, including saints, martyrs, and all the departed. That's the opening paragraph on Wikipedia. So, but, but, uh, Western Christian feast of all Hallows day, that's not something that, or all, or all saints day. It's not really celebrated much anymore, is it? Yeah. The etymology dictionary says it's, uh, from the middle English hallow meaning holy person or saint. And, uh, that's interesting because, you know, in our Harry Potter conversation, you have this, these items called the deathly hallows. Right. Um, which my my brain when I when that f- book first released that's book seven right Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows 
I, in my mind, I went to Deathly Hollows, and I was thinking like this dangerous wooded area. Like the legend of Sleepy Hollow? <laughs> right, right. And that's, that's a different word. I had to remind myself. It's not hollows, it's hallows. Well, it depends on how you do your, your, ac- <coughs> your academic research. You can sure. do things like, you know, say that the Mormons were involved in polygamy because they were trying to emulate the blacks which I found out from a college student who's studying history that that's one of their arguments. He was reading a book. <laughs> I haven't Have you heard ever that heard one. that? No. <laughs> which blacks? Black like a, people a, in general, I guess. The, were, were black people polygamists? Like may, maybe like, like... Well, I think there have uh, been a lot of uh, cultures that have taken multiple wives. Like a lot of... Uh, I think you can find a lot of instances of kings who had right, many I was concubines think maybe and wives like, and consorts. Maybe and, some but, African kings or something, but just, just emulating the blacks. That's kind of uh, what... <laughs> like which... Do you want me to read the, this to you? Let me read you sure, this excerpt. Sure, why not? We're flying by the seat of our we pants totally again today. Of our pants. Hey, is today, today is episode 99, right? Ooh, that's a, that's a cool number. Which means next week would be episode 100. And uh, next week, of course, is election week. <laughs> so uh, we may not even be around for next week. My prediction that the 2022 <laughs> midterms would, okay, would be suspended. Remember when I made that prediction? Oh, yeah, you did make that prediction. I think, I, I th- I think I'm going to fall short on that. I think we're going to have the 2022 midterms. You think, think so? Well, there's still a... Because the Paul Pelosi uh, thing didn't go through the... <laughs> what was that? You know, I, I don't know. I've been in the and last out. I read, they the guy called nine one one before he was attacked, and when the police got there, he let go. They like they both had their hands on the hammer, and then he let go, and then he, then he got beat up in front of the police. I, I don't know. It's a bizarre story, and I think that I think there was probably a lot of drugs and alcohol involved. On which side? Both sides. <clears throat> uh, what what are the sides? The police and the Pelosi's. Or is that the sides, or the Pelosi's and this attacker, or... Good question. <laughs> Let me put it this way. I think that the person, both the people in the home... Which was the attacker and the husband of the Speaker of the House. Yeah, I think there were probably drugs and alcohol involved with them. I think they were both probably intoxicated. That's my unsubstantiated opinion. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of unsubstantiated opinions out there. Although I know the mainstream press is trying to paint this as, um, well, yeah, it's a MAGA attack, of course. The, yeah, the, the the extreme right has caused this. Right. Well, the extreme right is causing. Is this everything. an accidental false flag? <laughs> you know, Paul Pelosi. I don't know much about him. I know he's he's got some money, uh, and I also know he's had. Some alcohol-related problems. He's got problems. more money than he had when she started in Congress. Well, when you can inside By trade. Like orders of magnitude. When you make the laws that determine the direction of the stock market, you can end up making a lot of money. It's a little jaded, a little cynical there, Mr. Floyd. You remember in... Uh, well, no, it's just what it is. It's a fact of life. Do you remember in, uh, in the second Back to the Future when Biff had the almanac? Oh, Yeah. And he got extremely wealthy in sports betting. Yep. Back to the Future. Great trilogy. Love it. That's kind of like what Nancy Pelosi and others, both Republicans and Democrats, do with the stock market. They have insider information. 
and they're able to buy and sell accordingly. There were both Democrats and Republicans that dumped major stock holdings right before the COVID crash. Oh, and it turns out a lot of bureaucrats did, right? Like, uh, Yeah, yeah. Look, when they do it, it's fine. When we do it, we go to jail. Really? Anyway. I haven't ever had the opportunity to inside trade. Well, I haven't either. Not that I know of. <laughs> uh, so um, let me read you this. Uh, Jordan's been tapping away over there at the keyboard. I've been, I've been uh, trying to find some sources so I don't have to do it later because we do try to spend the least amount of time possible but still provide you the listeners with a an excellent top of the line what's the, uh world class world class top notch podcast experience state okay. of the art from a book being read at a Utah college history in a Utah college history department on Mormon history I quote the 14th and 15th Amendments followed, granting civil... Okay, they followed the 13th Amendment, but the page is cut off here, so... Granting civil rights and voting rights to blacks, fear of race mixing escalated in the aftermath of these wrenching social changes and quickly caught Mormonism in its crosshairs. <laughs> I like the language, wrenching, crosshairs. This is supposed to be an objective history book, but it's clear from the one sentence you read that there's a lot of editorializing going on. I don't, yeah, I, I have to stop there and say, you know, by that point, the Mormons were out in Utah, and I don't think anybody really cared, except that they wanted to control the continent via manifest destiny. Well, that was the philosophy that they'd been following to push the Indians off of the land, and of course, to go from sea to shining sea. Mm-hmm meaning the Eastern establishment, the people that got control of the, the nation and then solidified their control via the war between the states, v- solidified a very federalist government that has only you know, grown out of control since then. They, uh, Mormonism was caught for that reason, not wrenching social changes, quickly catching Mormonism in its crosshairs. Because yeah. <laughs> see, Mormonism was... There, you had the Nauvoo Mormonism, which did not go polygamist, and then that you know they people want to say they died out. I think they kind of, I think they were fine for a while. They just they they weren't the only religious group in their um, in their locality, so they had to cooperate. Whereas in Utah, Brigham essentially was king of the West till he died. That's just the way it was. Right. Okay, get this. Outside observers frequently suggested that Mormon blackness was not necessarily a matter of neg- a matter of Negro blood, but a matter of behavior. Because Mormons were so thoroughly white, the conflation with blacks tended to center on the notion that in practicing polygamy, Mormons were performing race. They were acting in ways that peoples of African descent acted. Therefore, they were radically diff- racially different. Excuse me. As legal scar- scholar, <laughs> okay, I'm not sure that we can really say this, but with a straight face, as legal scholar Martha Ertman sees it, outsiders charged Mormons with race treason, 
when their actions violated general understandings of what it meant to be white. In some constructions, Mormons acted black in marrying more than one wife. In others, it was the sexual excess outsiders believed were bound up in polygamy that made them black. These arguments found particular potency in a nation that was undergoing a fundamental racial fight of its own. The national contest, in fact, created essential contest context. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> the national context test, in fact, created essential context for outsiders to look at Mormon polygamy and see it as a racial menace. Have you ever, <laughs> ever heard it framed that way? That that is the beautiful example of just a like a word salad. Like what? Well, plus like complete and total revisionism. R- right. The young person who uh, sent this to me wrote, he sent this, oh, it's a he. He sent a picture and then wrote underneath it, this is trash. Yeah, it's, um, it's nonsense. It's just nonsensical in the sense that it's incomprehensible. It's gobbledygook. Well, let it, alone it, it, just in, in, you know, ahistorical. Well... Yeah, you're right. It is gobbledygook, but I do believe if you understand the psychosis, the mental illness, the other side of the the woke coin here, it would start to make sense because they view they view things with different um, right. perspective. Everything is like you know they want to say that whole argument that a man can get pregnant is only valid for them. They don't believe that a biological man can get pregnant. They believe that that a woman can say she's a man and therefore that's the definition of a man. That's how right. most of the people on that side of it actually right, like, justify What it. is a woman? Well, anyone who decides they're a woman. It's like you can't define the word with the word. And yeah, that's what they do. Yeah, see, that's the problem is that they want to change the definitions and the definitions matter in a legal sense. They matter in a societal sense. And that that's where you get this massive fracturing of the public mind because most people are like a man can't get pregnant and they don't know that they've tr- that this other side thinks they've changed the rules that they've effectively changed the rules by right. by this little loophole of oh but anybody can say they're a man and then they, we have to believe they're a man we have to believe people's mental illness anyway this was uh let me tell you the title of this book the title is religion i'm not going to link to this if you want to like look this up and buy it Overpay for it. Or whatever. Um, you will have to remember that from this podcast. <laughs> this is... Uh... <laughs> okay, just look at the... It's called Religion of a Different Color. Subtext, Race and the, Race and the Mormon Struggle for Whiteness. W. Paul Reeve. Look at the picture on the front of that. It's like a little... It's... Just the ridiculosity of the whole thing is astounding. What is the Mormon level struggle 11. for whiteness? It's level 11. <laughs> this is so strange. Well, I just wrote back WTF <laughs> to that <clears throat> text. Why are, yeah. we, why are we talking about that? Uh, I don't know. We'd have to rewind and, and listen. We started off talking about All Saints Day. And some and the the attack on Paul Pelosi. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the attack was Paul Pelosi's struggle for whiteness, or something. I mean, I see why the author thinks they can get away with saying that. That 
that because he's framing the entirety of all evil based on this idea that white people have like a a set of um ideals for what it means to be white and that that's how they live their existence that right. is such a foreign concept to me this idea that somehow we're focused on race all the time that that's the underlying right. motivation our, uh, the underlying uh, guiding force of our thoughts and so everything we do is designed to uh reinforce the superiority of our race and therefore the Mormons were struggling with that because they were doing things that other people in the nation perceived <laughs> to be black. Which was that I a- think mo- everything I've ever learned in um, Sunday school or in history was that it was the Jews that were the polygamists that we were emulating. Right, David, like, the, like Solomon, the Old Testament Jews. David and Solomon, who uh, some people believe David was black. But was there really like in the United States during the westward movement, let's call it 1840 to 1880, was there really this idea that, that blacks were polygamists? I'd never heard that. And I'm not saying that because I've never heard it, it, it doesn't exist, but I never was taught that. Anyway, I would have, think that, I would have thought that slave owners would have really wanted to prevent uh, black polygamy, or on the flip side, maybe promote it, it. <laughs> to get to breed more slaves. But I, I don't know. I think that's that was just happening out here in the West. <clears throat> um, <laughs> okay, was King of David was was David King of Israel black? According to Quora, King David, like King Solomon and many other biblical figures, are depicted as a white man for the same reason, blah, 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 because history is rewritten by the conquerors. Oh boy. Okay, wait a minute. I don't know if we even need to... No, there's no evidence for this. No. A third of the royal tribe of Judah are descendants from Salah, whose mother was a Canaanite, whose descendants were from Ham. That is not accurate. Can- Canaan, they, people say Canaanite, C-A-N-A-A-N-I-T-E. When they they pronounce that Canaanite, it's Canaanite, which it means that they were mem- they were living in the Levant. In they're like these are the Phoenicians. These are the these are definitely a Semitic group of people. This it's the it's the it's the eleven it's the ten lost tribes. Right. Okay. All right. I don't know. Okay. I have problems with a lot of uh, history, as you know from our discussion <laughs> on the chosen, the the Jesus. Uh, I don't want to say sitcom. It's a series. <laughs> it's funny in some ways. It's really good. But uh, there's no laugh track. There's no laugh track. But it is. <laughs> there are a lot of really funny, uh, funny moments, yeah. like chuckle moments. Okay, so the blackness. If you, I'm, I'm trying to find the source in the Bible where people, why people say that uh, David was black. Why do they say? King. I think it just has to do with that he was Middle Eastern and maybe, you know, had darker skin. I, I, I don't know. I thought there was a verse that talks about the uh, sons of David being black. I don't know. I'll have to look for that. Anyway, the this is a tradition that goes way back to uh, 
the beginning, the idea that um, the black and the the blackness of an individual that they could be depicted or talked about as if they were black, if they were at a high level of progression and they were about to spontaneously combust, burn into, burn up into a fiery being. Uh, so you have the seraphim in Hebrew, meaning fiery ones or fiery flying serpents. Interesting, right? Mm-hmm. The Nephites were bitten by fly, fiery, no wait, not the Nephites, but Nephi discloses that God sent fiery flying serpents serpents to afflict the Israelites. Is that a tip-off to uh, metaphorical language, symbolic language? Well, if they had had their masks on, they would have been fine. Okay. <laughs> the look on your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, okay, anyway, well, I'm just alluding. We're never going to do video because if, if you saw our faces, <laughs> you wouldn't listen to the Mind Virus show Oh, anymore. boy. But... Uh, what what I was getting at is that th- this is a this is a metaphorical device that's used in what you'd call alchemical or hermetic or progr- eternal progression esoteric circles to denote someone who's close to burning up the because the gods dwell in everlasting mm-hmm. fire. Mm-hmm. That's what Joseph Smith said. You know, you've got to go from one small degree to a greater degree, from grace to grace, from exaltation to exaltation, until you can uh, sit down with those who. Uh, dwell in everlasting burnings. I'm paraphrasing. I'll try to find that quote for the uh, for the podcast page. I think I probably posted it three or four times before. Probably. But this is from the King Follett Discourse, and it's evidence that Mormons believe in eternal progression, which is something different than most Christian religions want to... Well, and that, I, that original eternal progression is different than what... Mormons believe. Mormons teach and talk about today. What you're saying too. is what Joseph Smith said is different than the way we perceive it now. Yeah, I think at least the yeah. way we teach it. We definitely don't dive into Joseph Smithian eternal progression very often. No, and we're, and we're changing. Uh, for example, they remodeled the Salt Lake Temple, and they took the woman out of the celestial room. Did you know that? There, was a, uh, there used to be a depiction of the, um, the mother, or a, at least a woman. On, they didn't ever say who she was, but... I think it was right above the veil. There was a kind of a Venus on a clamshell type of a thing, you know, Botticelli's mm-hmm. Venus. Mm-hmm. The, there was a, a woman on a shell and it was sort of a, well, you can make what, what you want. She's gone now out of the celestial room. Probably for the best. <clears throat> you know, I don't know about that. Anyway, getting back to the, <laughs> being a little getting back to the blackness. There, there are many, um, many. There used to be many. There are a few you can still find in Europe in the Gothic cathedrals. You can find these black Madonnas, mm-hmm. and so the people will use that as a reason to say that Mary was black, or Mary Magdalene was black, or Jesus was black. The idea is that it's the stage right before uh, this burning up into fire. Now, if you've ever watched a fire, <laughs> a campfire, this makes some sense. The logs start out looking like logs, then they get blackened charred by the fire and then they kind of disintegrate into fire right so that's why why are we talking about that oh i, I don't remember we got this is the the unknowns the the series of unknown <laughs> uh transitions from tangent to tangent for the halloween episode today yeah it is halloween very you know <clears throat> and i i used to get into halloween a lot more than i do now i don't i'm not sure why 
Like I don't even dress up nowadays. There was one uh, one time a few years ago when we were uh, new to the neighborhood that I currently live in. I put on uh, like a duster, a cowboy duster, and a cowboy hat and boots, and I put a BB gun over my, you know, across my lap, and I built a fire out in the front yard in one of those portable fire rings, mm-hmm. and I had the bowl of candy next to me, and I and, and <laughs> nobody came over. No, the kids would skip my house. I also had an eye patch. I was kind of, I think I, you're dressed as uh, like Rooster Cogburn. <laughs> the new guy's a little crazy. I like Rooster Cogburn. Rooster Cogburn from uh, one of the greatest Westerns ever, uh, True Grit, especially the Cohen version. Well, there, I, I've watched the original. It's good. There's it, also uh, John Wayne just called Rooster Cogburn. You know that. Yeah, John, that's the original. John Wayne is in True Grit. Yeah, but there's also, isn't there a show Rooster Cogburn uh, and John, and uh, I don't know. I'll look that up while you're talking. But the the new one, the the uh, the Cohen Brothers version is spot on. It's just so good. The the dialogue, the Coens are dialogue masters. 1975 and, PG. Yes, there is a Rooster Cogburn. Well, I might have to watch that. But uh, I I think uh, anyway. 1969 was True Grit. Uh, let me, you just try to talk. I'll interrupt you. Okay. okay. Anyway, <laughs> I sat out there on the porch with this campfire going, the bowl of candy next to me. And, and pl- of course, you're bearded, right? Yeah. At the time. And the kids would just skip the house. They would come. <laughs> and I guess I don't blame them. But I thought it would well, be fun. I thought I'd attract a crowd. Like, oh, look it. There's a... It's the new guy. It's the new guy has a campfire and it's cold and... So <laughs> it's cold outside. So I haven't done that as much, but it's easier. You know, I thought it'd be easier than getting up off the couch every eight seconds to answer the door for trick or treaters. But, uh, well, you know, um, you proved that wrong. I, I did. Maybe if I had been out there just dressed normally, people would have come. Maybe I'll do something. I, you know, I had uh, I had the idea to uh, <laughs> just hang the uh, <clears throat> hang an elk head off of the porch above the bowl of candy. That's weird. <laughs> Why would you want to hang an? Where, where would you get an elk head? Well, I had a successful elk hunt. Tell us about that. That sounds like fun. <clears throat> well, I wasn't here last week, right? Which That's opened right. up the door for you to go solo again. Which right. I think our listeners maybe like more than uh, the the duo. The here. regular. <laughs> I don't, I, I, that's, I don't think so. I think only the, one of us brings the dynamic of the voices here. That's right. I think, th- I think they like the duality of the podcast, the, the duo ness. What's the, uh, the, bi- the binary? Would you the call binary-ness? it binary-ness? <laughs> uh, no, I think they like that, but I also do think that what it says is that there's, um, a desire to explore those ideas. I like. I, I mean, is. I went. I went. Granted, I did do a page of notes. Okay, I did. I did spend a little bit of time preparing. So there's a little bit. There's a difference there. And I think the material is resonant. You say honey is sweet. So do I. It tastes good, right? I, I think it's that that's definitely. Good stuff. De- it's definitely resonant, and it, there, there's a reason why some of the big important popular narratives of our lifetimes 
explore these topics because they they resonate. We're hungry for them. Humanity, human beings are hungry for this stuff because it's it's the or it's our own it's our origin, origin story. story. Yeah. You know, we yeah. love origin stories of like the superheroes. Like they're always some of my favorites. Right. Well, this is our origin story, and we don't talk about it enough in, we, in plain terms like Joseph Smith did. Instead, we have to get it in allegory, which is fine, but allegory from things like Harry Potter or the inverted Avengers or even stories like Lord of the Rings, which is... Well, I think you have to be a, a pretty open-minded person to actually go there and say this is relevant. Right. Because the, the way that it works in church circles is that it's the Genesis story and that that's, um, that's it. Right. I mean, Nibley was pretty bold when he said that those stories were nursery tales, right? And that, right. Was, a, that was a long time ago. But I, I'm surprised. I actually am quite surprised that our culture given how the Mormon culture, given how much we venerate and respect Hugh Nibley, theoretically, we, people say that, right? They say that. They don't even say it anymore. They don't say it anymore. Okay. But given that there's been at least that sort of a feeling in the past that, that, that I had never heard until I read Nibley, the statement that the Genesis stories were, had done more harm to Christianity than any other stories that they were that they ought to be viewed as nursery tales that they really are not historical i'd i'd never really heard anybody be so bold as to hammer that home mm-hmm. and and there was our excuse to do it because you had a guy like nibley willing to say it right he right. he could back it up he read the ancient languages he he was uh, nobody could i mean he was so smart he just there were a lot of people that were willing to disparage him behind his back and say that his notes weren't any good or whatever. Right, or on his deathbed when he couldn't respond. Right. But... And I'm not the, saying he was perfect. It's just well, that of course he, not. he gave us this excuse to look beyond the canonical narratives and gave us some information about why those narratives might be suspect what, as if we needed permission when, when Nephi and the, the Nephite priests were willing to say, hey, look... There's not a lot of good happening in the the Bible that you've the Bible's been modified. Right. <laughs> whatever that whatever that book is you guys are going to receive. So, yeah. I think they're good ideas and I think that we should explore them and talk about them because that's those are the those are the great questions, the terrible questions. And what, what do you mean by terrible questions? This is another nibbly. I mean, they're the questions that, and, and, and I don't remember exactly how he defines that, but they're the questions that have consequential answers. Right. Well, the, I think the main question that he throws out as one of the terrible questions is, is there anything after this life? That's a terrible question. Right. Right. Because the, I, I guess you could classify that as, as terrible because if the answer is no, that's a terrible answer. That's a terrible possibility. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're, they're, they're important questions. I had a conversation with some friends that are not very religious, and we got into these terrible questions, and they were struggling to kind of figure out, like, what is all this about? And I don't mean in the kind of cliche, like, you know, missionary video version. <laughs> right. Here's, here's somebody's summary of them. Where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going? 
Yeah, those are kind of those basics. But, but that, those are, the, yeah, those are the types of things they'd tell us as missionaries. Oh, everybody wants to know the answers to these, and you got to talk about it. we. The great thing about Mormonism is we have the answers about where we came from, why we're here, and where right. we're going. And and that is a great thing about Mormonism. But it should be, it should be, and it's less and less. It should be what religion is is the discussion of these cosmological ideas to figure out where we came from, why we're here, where are we going, is there anything more to all of this? And underlying all of that is how do you know what's true? How do you figure out what is true? Well, and if you add to Joseph Smith's statements, which I've tried to highlight, he asserts that you need the knowledge in order to move forward. Well, Nephi says the same thing. He says search out knowledge, even great knowledge. And then he laments the fact that not enough people are doing it. I was. Was he canceled? Was he deplatformed? <laughs> don't you don't want me to? Don't let, don't let me go off on that idea. Okay. Just yet. His his uh, credit card account account was canceled <clears throat> by but, Lehman uh, and Lemuel. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were solo last Monday because I had an opportunity to go back to the great state of Wyoming for one day. I had one day to get the job done. And you did. And I got the job done. It was a, it was a fun day. Actually, the people I was with, between me and two others, we ended up getting three elk. The Flood family will eat this winter. <laughs> we will, because... And then two days later, my son shot his first deer here in the Utah General Rifle Hunt. And that was a fun thing to do with him. Congratulations to Bobby Jr. So we will eat this this uh, winter because <laughs> that's the only time I eat meat is in times of winter. In times of winter or, or sparingly. Um, <laughs> it may be uh, one of those uh, famine type of winters. Um, I do. We. I actually do feel really blessed to to bring that to bring that meat home be, for that reason and, and just others too. But we'll have to have some uh, elk steaks. Me and you. Oh, I would love that. Do you uh, have the storage space for it? An elk is pretty. Uh, that's no, a lot of meat, isn't it? We have to. We have to expand our storage space. Just because of this elk. Yeah, the elk I shot was. I shot basically the first. Well, full eligible di- bachelor. Full, full disclosure: I missed a shot, and I was really mad at it was myself. A rifle or bow? Rifle. And in the morning, I'd missed a shot that it was a, a makeable shot for me. Mm-hmm. And I just yanked it. I just there's no excuses, right? I just slapped that trigger. Yeah, I just got excited and right over his back. So I was hoping for another chance and uh, got another chance on a legal bull and made a good shot. Congratulations! So, yeah, thanks. It was a uh, it was fun. It's a fun. If you've never hunted, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't have a tag or a rifle or anything, go, go, go with somebody. <laughs> okay. Go with someone that does. That sounded like you were going to recommend poaching. No, no, no. I highly do, do, not re, do not poach, but go with somebody and it, just have that experience. It's a little different than hiking or driving through the mountains and just enjoying it out there. It's a little different to sort of disappear and you spend a lot of time just being quiet and watching and listening and... I recommend everybody do that. Go out for 30 minutes, whether it's, you know, hunting season or not. Get away from the trail or the car and sit down against a tree and just sit there for half an hour. Put your phone away, put headphones away, and just watch and listen. The idea is you're off the beaten path, meaning off of the path. Right. And you're 
away from everybody like you're really out there you're not you're maybe near a game trail you're maybe at you times maybe seen some signs of of other of other animals right other <laughs> right and, and sometimes hunting's that way sometimes it isn't i mean my my son's deer we shot we spotted him in the truck jumped out of the truck and he took the shot and basically shot him just a few you know maybe 100 yards off the road legally everything we did was on the up and up <laughs> We didn't shoot him out of the back of the truck or something, but the pintle mounted but machine I think, gun. <laughs> right, we saw one guy <clears throat> who was riding like in the back of the pickup, but his butt was up on the top of the pickup, and his uh-huh. legs were dangling down. You know, and he Is had he holding his, his gun. His gun, and I was like, dude, why don't you just cut to the chase and mount that thing to a turret? Like, yeah, <laughs> they call that a pintle mount. <clears throat> but I think there's tremendous value whether you're a hunter or not. Just getting away from the trailhead or the trail <clears throat> and sitting in the woods and just, you will find that when your footsteps are done, when you're done swooshing your pant legs and you sit down and you're quiet, the mountain, the forest will come alive and you'll start to hear the bird chirps and the critters. You know, I had a squirrel earlier in the season. I was sitting down, hunt, I, was on, I was hunting. And the squirrel was doing its thing behind me, really close. I could hear it. So I turn around, and this squirrel's on a branch like 10 feet behind me, and he is giving me the eye. He, we had this, like, stare down <laughs> and, like, eye contact where we locked eyes, and I was like, this squirrel is mad. And then he took two leaps, just boom, boom, and flew through the air and bounced right off of my shoulder. Like, and then he, he wanted to jump on that tree or something. He hit the ground and then ran off. And I thought, he does not like where I'm sitting. Huh. And then he stood up, you know, on his hind legs and was chittering at me a little bit. And I eventually moved on, but it was. Were you sitting on his stash? <laughs> I, don't, I was sitting on a rock next to a tree, but I don't know. Where he stashed all the I'm, acorns. Maybe, maybe. So, you know, Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Yeah. Somehow that word became to mean stupid. Or Nimrod? Yeah. Like it's an insult now. Well, it's possibly because he was sort of juxtaposed opposite Abraham, who was highly intelligent, knew the workings of the cosmos, etc. Maybe. Or maybe he was just stupid. Maybe he was, but I don't think he can be stupid and be a, a mighty hunter. Isn't that how he's described as a mighty yeah, hunter? Yeah, he's described as a mighty hunter. Back then... You didn't have high-powered rifles and binoculars and spotting scopes and side-by-sides and four-wheelers and right. four-wheel drive trucks. Would you say there was more availability of game? Yeah, but... At least in the wilderness. You, right? had to get, you had to get much closer to them. I read a book recently called American Buffalo by Stephen Ranella, the meat eater. I think I, we've mentioned him. And he talks a little bit about how buffalo were hunted back in the day and Including the big buffalo stampedes that they would they would run buffalo over cliffs. The, in, the American Indians. American Indians yeah. would do this, and there's evidence of you know just buffalo piled up, this hundreds or even thousands of buffalo skeletons at the bottom of cliffs. Oh, really? Over time, yeah, they would run them over. They would run whole herds over these things, and they then would they figure would, out figure out how to <clears throat> where where the geographical uh, features were. Uh, best yeah. suited for that and then they would just do that year after year right and then they would go and just basically take what they needed from the pile of dead buffalo 
Yeah, I wonder if they ever ran too many over. Like, uh, hey, wait about what about next year? They probably didn't think about it in those terms. The fish and game guys <laughs> in the tribe are like, hey, you ran too many buffalo over. We're going to have to implement uh, some uh, issue controls fewer, this year. We're going to issue fewer permits this year. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Your permit for running buffalo over the cliff has expired, <laughs> uh, young uh, sprinting deer. But, of course, they would hunt them with bows and otlottles and spears and... What's an ophthalotl? An ophthalotl is a... Ophthalotl? Yeah, it's a South American kind of Aztec Mayan weapon. You might want to Google the picture of it because I'm trying to remember, but it's sort of a spear that you can fling. How do you spell it? A-T-L-A-T-L or something like that. A-T-L-A-T-L. Ottle, ottle. Google will figure it out. (laughs) A spear-throwing level. Lever, excuse me, spear throwing lever. I see what you're talking. I've seen something like that. I think before. it's featured in uh, Mel Gibson's Apocalypto. I think they have a, a, a lottles in that. Really? I went to a museum in Mexico City once, uh, like a Mayan museum. Really cool stuff in there. If you're ever in Mexico City, you should go to that museum. I don't remember what it's called. It might be called the Mexico City Museum of Ancient History or something. Okay. But it's it's a big, nice museum, and they had some cool. Otlottles with obsidian blades, hmm. things like that. Anyway. Well, what, uh, so you listen to the Harry Potter thing. What are your thoughts? Why don't you weigh in and tell us what, uh, what you thought or add, add any interesting ideas in there? We were, we were thinking about talking about this um, together, and then I jumped the gun. No, it's okay. With um, permission from Mr. Flood. Yeah, I think that... I mean, it, when you dig into it like you've done and started to do, it's clear that... J.K. Rowling or somebody knew that they were doing things highly symbolic. And most people watch Harry Potter and they're like, this is cool because it's a little boy who becomes a wizard. You know, he's an underdog and Mm -hmm. he's actually, you're a wizard, Harry. Well, I found it interesting, some of the Christian outrage against it. It usually usually comes from the Christian right, like this idea that these witchcraft themes or wizardry themes were evil and uh, found it in like a darkness, which is interesting because um, when you when you really read the stories, there there's light and darkness, right? There's the good wizards and the bad wizards, right? It was uh, it's, <laughs> but they're not doing the they're not doing these overtly like Harry and Hermione and Ron. They're engaged in essentially the quest for knowledge, right? Even greater knowledge, even greater knowledge about how to defeat the Dark Lord. And how to, you know, and rectify the situation for their creation. I, I always found when these books were really popular and coming out, you know, because everybody was looking forward to the next release. And <clears throat> somehow she did something that very few authors are able to do. And she kept meeting and exceeding the expectations, right? That mm-hmm. books just kept getting better and better. But I always found the, 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 the opposition to them very odd. Like, like oh, it's witchcraft. Mm-hmm. What are some well, things you would associate? Go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. Well, I just thought, well, yeah, it's witchcraft, but it's, have you read the stories? Because like you said, it's, it's, it's an allegory. It's, it's a setting of witchcraft and wizards and evil and good and evil in this magical world. But that's the setting for the same story of Christianity. Which it's is, sort of like the Star Wars setting. Which is right? a wizard, a person with magical special powers defeating the evil one. That's the story of Christianity. That's what 
Jesus did. I mean, he didn't have a wand and spells, but he had power over this world. He could control the elements if he needed to. He had power over death. You know, you make an interesting <clears throat> point. Um, to back you up, I think Jack Welsh and John Hall of Farms did some research on this. <clears throat> the technical term for what they tried Jesus for, the Sanhedrin, was maleficium in Latin, which literally means sorcery. Mm -hmm. And they tried him at night because they believed sorcerers derived their power from the sun. So, and, and this was all on the heels of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. So there was talk that he was what they'd call a necromancer, somebody yeah. who worked with the dead. And sorcerers are mentioned in the New Testament, aren't they? Doesn't Paul yeah, mention so. them? Yeah. Like it was a thing. They believed that people had magical <clears throat> powers. Right. And so, what would you call, what'd you call healing the blind, uh, healing the lame, if not magical? Right. Right. I mean, we, we, do, we, we certainly don't do that much we today. Have a, we have a little bit of an aversion for the word magic, but yet we're happy to dress up like the three magi, the maguses, <laughs> right. derived from the same word. And, no, and wise throw, man. We, wise they're men, just, yeah, they're just, just wise, wise men. men. Okay, so they're not magi. Which is just plural for mages, magi. by the way. Right, mage, yeah. So yeah, A mage is another name for a wizard. A wizard. <laughs> You're a mage, Harry. You're, yeah. You're a magus, so, Harry. But I'm, I'm glad that that kind of opposition didn't it didn't really stick it was kind of dismissed it's a little weird i mean what what would you associate with dark witchcraft or wizardry blood sacrifice right um yeah and i, I know that, like the ouija board gets a bad rap like do you remember the kevin costner version of robin hood yes remember the witch in that one where she's ripping out entrails and right. she's uh, always like she's got blood on her hands and she's dwelling in darkness in a weird I mean, that's kind of how I think those people tried to frame Harry Potter. Yeah, I don't think the people who were really vocally ob objecting to it had even read it. I had a, I had a family friend who, uh, yeah, maybe they hadn't read it. I had a family friend, though, who, though, who advised me, oh, it's a dark influence, you know, and I, I took that seriously for a minute. And I, I had already read the books, but she was saying, oh, they're a bad influence, you Get the books out of your house. I think there and, are books that can be a bad influence, just like m other media, for sure. I don't think Harry Potter's one of them. I think actually the opposite. I well, yeah. Harry, I Harry mean, Potter's a great story of you, good overcoming evil and how you do that in your life. Well, you're probably right that the people haven't really looked at it or looked at it carefully <clears> because, I mean, they wear, they wear robes like uniforms. They, mm -hmm. This is a school that requires the kids to wear uniforms. Yeah. There's it's a like few a, of those around here. It's different than the public schools. It's like more, more formal, more rigid, more strict, right? right? Isn't that a good thing, you would think? I mean, in the, in the movies, they depict them wearing ties and shirts and ties. They're basically, they wear traditional private school attire, and then they add the robe on top of it. Right. They're doing everything that a private prep school or college or whatever from back in the yeah. day would be doing. They're, they look like the kids out of Dead Poets Society or whatever. Right. Yeah, so I, I find that really odd because, yeah, you've mentioned Ouija boards. They, they don't have these mysterious Ouija board type of uh, seances. They're not doing seances. They're not like... Now, that the dead are involved, you know, but they're, it's not like they're out channeling the dead for no reason. There are ghosts. Right, right. There, there are <clears throat> ghosts in the... But there's all of, all of those elements. My voice is a little scratchy today. <clears throat> 
All of those elements are present in Christianity. All of them. No? Cough drop? (laughs) Sure. They they are, though. Christianity, you have your... You have your ghosts. You have people rising from the dead. Spirits would never visit the living in (laughs) dreams or in the temple. Right. Or at night. Right. I've never heard of that in church. (laughs) Not recently, at least. So, and and then you've even got your, you know, your magic spells. You want to frame it that way. Mm -hmm. You've got your healings and things like that. So, I I think that the Harry Potter story resonates with us. You called it like the last great narrative of the last age. Of the age of Pisces, yeah. I think there's something to that. And again, I think it's the, it was instantly popular. And I think that's because it's more than just a boy with a wand and some spells. Because there's been other stories kind of like that. Oh, there's lots of fantasy, lots of, I mean, fantasy's got to be, would you say it's the biggest genre of juvenile and slash into adult type of literature crossing from, I, I, I don't know where the categories end, but there's this category called juvenile literature, right? Or for young people, yeah, which is where Harry Potter would fall because of the way it's written. But then you've got more adult level novels like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, fantasy. Which was never was never written with that in mind. It was just written as a book for people. Fantasy is huge. Like or books. You go to a bookstore or like get on Audible or Amazon and look at. Sometimes it gets lumped in with sci-fi, like sci-fi fantasy. Mm-hmm. But they're different. But but it's supposed like, to be like a medieval throwback or a yeah fantasy ancient, ancient times type of a throwback. <clears throat> I mean, Game of Thrones would be considered a fantasy series because there's magical elements. It's not a historical fiction, although the author tried to make it more historically accurate in certain ways, particularly like the brutality of that age and royalty. You know, he he always lamented. By the way, here's the Halloween costume of one of our listeners. Just wanted to throw that out at you. Just is that he's dressed as one of the soccer players, or am I missing it? Yeah, he's dressed as a soccer player, but did you see his face? Let me see here. This is one of our listeners. Oh, he's got some teeth issues. And you like the hair? Yeah, that's good. Just want to throw that out. <laughs> this is a Pepe. This, Le, is, this is Pepe Le Pew. This from is the, the. This is the intellectual level of our. This is the. Yeah, these are the guys <laughs> listening to our podcast. This well is uh, Pepe Le Pew. He comments every once in a while. Yes, he does. Well, where was I? Um, you're talking about um, Harry Potter. <laughs> well, these books, like like George George R. R. Martin, that's You're the author about fantasy of, books, yeah. of Game of Thrones, and those. The he lamented the Disneyfication of like medieval and royalty, like like a prince would go and hobnob with the commoners, and you could hug him and look at him in the face and not have your eyes gouged out, right? Like so. His books the benevol- are the benevolent <clears throat> king thing. Yeah, and just the kind of the, the there was definitely in history a gap between the commoners and the royalty, and you did not. I mean, you, you averted your eyes when a royalty was for the most part, right? I mean, you've got the King Benjamin types of the right. Of the I'm, I'm talking world. about more. You're like talking about medieval, dark medieval ages. Europe, dark ages. That, yeah, they and, believe they were the Sun Kings, like Louis and from France. So he his. 
series, Game of Thrones, which the books are not called Game of Thrones. The TV series was called Game of Thrones. The books are called The Song of Ice and Fire. The first book is called Game of Thrones. And that series remains unfinished, by the way, much to the bemoanment of fans. And probably never will be finished. Because they finished it in the Well, they finished the it TV. in the TV series. And also, George R.R. R. Martin's is not writing. Anyway, but fantasy is huge. You think about some of the biggest TV shows, the most popular TV shows of our lifetimes have been based on, or movies have been based on fantasy. Mm-hmm. And I guess we ask ourselves a question, why is that? Why isn't historical fiction or documentaries the, the number one genre? Why don't we line up around the block to get the new Tom Brokaw biography or something? You know, why do these stories resonate? These are rhetorical questions, right? <laughs> you, I'm you biting can, my tongue. You can answer them if you want. <laughs> but why? What? Yeah. Why do these stories resonate? Why do? Is it because people believe that false? Re- they 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 connect more with that perceived false reality. Like overtly, the society would say that's not true, and and it's safe, and so they connect better with that than the than the the uh, purported reality of a Tom Brokaw book? Well, I think that these stories resonate because they speak to, they speak to our souls. They speak to our psyche as humans. And, and they, they tell us, whether we realize it or not, they tell us who we are, where we came from, and where we're going. They answer those terrible questions, or at least attempt to. And so we, we gravitate towards that. So in the case of Harry Potter, where did he come from? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? Cotton Eye Joe. Cotton Eye Joe. I thought I always thought that was Catman Joe or something. <laughs> Catman Doe. Cat, it's like da, 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 da. Is that the hamster dance? No, that's not the hamster dance, is it? I don't remember. I derailed our, our thought. But that was wh- like wh- one of the most famous memes. Right. Um in the early days. In the dancing baby. Um, where did Harry Potter come from? Well, he was born to a mom and a dad who were both talented wizards, wizard and witch. Yeah. James and Lily, right? Both really talented. James especially was, he was one of these guys that was so talented that school was kind of a drag. And so he was a troublemaker a little bit. And I think we've all known students like that or known people like that. But have you been somebody like that? No, I'm not that smart. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, I've been a troublemaker, but not because I'm not so because smart. of smartness. <laughs> Mostly because of stupidity. But you know, and so he, his parents are killed when he's a baby. During that attack by Tom Riddle, Voldemort, Harry is affected. He's zapped. He's try. They, he tries to kill Harry, right? Mm-hmm. And something supernatural happens. And it leaves him a scar, right? He's the boy who lived. And he's a legend among the wizarding community. Right. And so where did he come from? Well, he came, he was a, he's a child of legend. Right. Not only that, but we learn more about him later on. Right. In, uh, what is it, the seventh book? That his invisibility cloak came through a line of men. Yeah, it's a, it's a relic or an heirloom. That had, um, it was the Tales of Beetle the Bard, right? I think so. 
and the the one that was the most important in there was the Deathly Hallows. Is that what they called the the name of the story? Tales. It sounds the, right. It's it's honestly been a long time since I've read the books or seen the movies, but but the invisibility cloak is his by rights, passed down, and Dumbledore, if I remember right, was holding it for him. That's right, and he gives it to him in the first, um, first book, in right? The first when he arrives book, at yeah. the school, and I'm trying to find what what are the stories. <laughs> the Fountain of Fair Fortune, the Warlock's Hairy Heart, the Wizard and the Hopping Pot, and Babbity Rabbit and her Cackling Stump. Let's see, one, two. Three, four. I guess the deathly. Oh, the tale of the three brothers is what it's called. It's not called the deathly hallows. The tale of the three brothers. And are those the three brothers that have the cloak, the wand? Yeah, but the, and, I would characterize it this way: these are the three brothers that encounter death. Right. Because remember, go back to the cosmology stuff. I've been trying to explain to people, especially because are, I think we have a predominantly Mormon audience, and I'm trying to tell you if you want to understand the scriptures you need to acknowledge that you're in the death world you're in the lowest down world which is the lowest kingdom which is the telos the telestial mm-hmm. world this is not something that's taught in sunday school in fact to the contrary we're taught that you're on earth and that t- the telestial kingdom is uh, something that you can go to afterwards it if you don't if we consider the temple a map or a scale model of the cosmos, like Hugh Nibley explains, and that you're supposed to go there to get your bearings on the cosmos because you're going somewhere else, right? Where where did we come from? Why are we here? And where are we going, Cotton-Eyed Joe? The hamster dance, dance song was... So it was a different, it's not a, Cotton Eye Joe, right? What a terrible song, that Cotton Eye Joe song. Cotton Eye Joe is different. They play it at like the you still games You still stuff. hear it at sports events and yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. They've probably gotten wealthy off of that stupid song. Unless they're just... Do you think all the colleges are paying royalties on that? They probably <laughs> I are. I think the colleges probably pay some lump licensing fee that gives them a library. I would guess. Yeah, it's probably like access a, it's to probably a, what do you, would they call that syndicated or packaged? Yeah, now I know at the local high school we'd play whatever we want. I mean, they play whatever <laughs> they want. <laughs> Except for all the F-word songs. They have to bleep them. <laughs> we're, or we're, they just don't the, play them. <clears throat> they are asked not to play those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, there was a pregame. Do you happen to know somebody that helps with this? <laughs> there was a pregame warm up a team was warming up and and uh just about lost my mic (laughs) somebody's i've lost my mic somebody one of the players put their playlist onto the pa and (laughs) it didn't take very long and there was some f words and n words blaring over the loudspeakers and we had to quickly run so (laughs) if you're a public if you're a public figure or in the public And, and speaking in public, it's not okay to say the N-word. But if you're saying it in music, that's totally okay. You can say it all day long, right? Well, it, my understanding if is it's if it's hip-hop if, or popular if, rap. If you're black, you can say it 
in any context. What yet. if you're Eminem? I don't know. I think maybe he's got a pass. I don't know if he says it in his music or not, but maybe he's got a pass. Vanilla Ice? Definitely does not, not have a pass. Not allowed? So you have to be black to say it in music. Or, yeah. Or you can just say it whenever you want if you're black. Yeah, I think so. Which, I, I mean, I, I understand, like, taking that word and turning it into something different and disempowering the people who use it derogatively. I understand that. The word that shall not be named? We did that with Mormon. We did the same thing. We took the word and said, fine, we're going to own this word, and then we will call ourselves Mormons, and we will promote it and use it, and no so problem. By the same token, you can't say Mormon unless you're Mormon. Well, we didn't... Except that we're it, not... It was never... I don't think it was ever that that level of... We don't fiercely enforce the rules like... Well, it was never... I don't think do. Mormon was ever as bad or derogatory as the N-word at least became. I think the N-word became pretty slurry. <laughs> Are you, is it possible that some people in leadership right now might disagree with that yes, statement? Yes, yes, okay. because now everybody, and I say this with a glint in my eye, the leadership of the church is anti-Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> well... And if you use the term to call to as the name of the church, the right. devil smiles upon your efforts. Yeah, it's his, one of his great victories. Oh, that's what it was. Which is a, honestly a head scratching statement to me. But we were we talking can, about Harry Potter. Do you we want to can keep move talking on. About yeah, that? let's keep talking about Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Uh, I think w- w- we were on the topic of the Deathly Hallows, and I was trying to emphasize this was interesting because these are the three brothers, le- a legendary trio that encounters death and they uh ask of him th- each a, he he offers them a gift i can't remember how the story goes but uh they come away with each of them uh, a a wish or a, a gift that they a boon that they had asked of death and um only one of the brothers had asked for something that would really enable him to uh, hide from death, which was the invisibility cloak, right? Right. I'm trying, <clears throat> to, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here. The, this is really interesting because we are in the world of death, the death world, the, the one where entropy reigns mm-hmm. and where the physical body decays and you've lost your memory. This is another interesting thing about Harry Potter is that uh, memories play a huge part in it. Remember Dumbledore's pensive, 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 yeah. uh, pensive? Really creative, cool way to introduce flashbacks and backstories. Well, it also essentially endows Harry with the knowledge that he needs right. to defeat the Dark Lord. Did you hear the language that I used? Yes. It endows I, I, him. I listened. I okay. heard. I find that. it is. They are a gift. Yeah. The, a, a they, knowledge of knowledge. He's given power. knowledge that allows him to defeat the Dark Lord through the memory that uh, Dumbledore has amassed for him to well, not just uh, the memory part but it, it's it's imparting knowledge and experience into an inexperienced mind which which in turn empowers him right. beyond his natural capabilities right but remember we, we we in our scripture we have uh language like in the end of Moses chapter 6 that says you know the record of heaven, the peaceable things of immortal glory, the truth of all things are in John. The, bring all things to your remembrance. Mm-hmm. Is it in John? 
where, where does it say that the Holy Ghost will bring all things to your remembrance? I think that's John 14. Well, I'll I'm take your, you there. have much better memory for that kind of stuff, but. Draw a blank there. But. That's because you're right. you, and, and, well, and, well, the question is, is it going to bring the answers to the math test to your remembrance or will it answer the terrible question of who you really are, right. what, where you were before? That's my, and that's I th- my point. And I think that's one of the reasons these stories resonate because on some level they are reminding people or helping them remember who they are. We're all Harry Potter. We all come from talented, goodly parents. And we've all been given the, the power inside of us, the power and the knowledge. Eventually, we can gain the knowledge to overcome the evil one and overcome death, right? And overcome this deathly realm, this realm of death. Right. It's John fourteen twenty six. The comforter, the paraclete, the sidestander is what that really should say. Do you have a photographic memory? No. No. Have you ever, like, can they test for that? I don't know if they can test for that. Because your memory is very, very good. It's pretty close. Depends on what you want. I think it's like a hard disk. You can fill it up, and then you have to clear some stuff off, which that's why I really <laughs> uh, identify with Dumbledore and the pensive. He's got to get things out of his mind so he can yeah. put other things in his well, we mind have and ways look that, at it differently. We kind of have ways of doing that. It's called writing. or You can write the stuff down, yeah. Or this. You can talk into a microphone and record your... Recollections. I should have remembered it was John fourteen twenty six. I think that's scripture mastery from seminary days. Well, you almost did. You said it's in John fourteen. Yeah. Well, I'll, let me read it to you though, for you people that want to get the you people you people out there. The Comforter, the Paraclete, the Sidestander, which is the Numatos Hagios, the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. By the way, there is no distinction between ghost or spirit when they say Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's always Numatos or Numa. So the uh which is the 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 paraclete which is this force or entity the numatos hagios who the the high father will send in my name Christ's name he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. This is critical. He it, it ends off saying whatsoever I have said unto you, but it's not that necessarily he's going to remind you of things Jesus told you in this life. This could be anything that you need to remember from your past existence. But remember, the operative part is, what is it that the Lord needs you to remember so that you can perform your role here in the world of death, darkness, entropy, and loss of memory? Where is it that says, remember and perish not? Oh, that I don't know. Where is that? Now I'll have to look at my phone, and you're probably going to hear the... Well, while you're looking for that, um, again, I think understanding the world that you're stuck in, and yes, you are stuck here, and that's why the Bible would use, and Book of Mormon would use terms like captivity, I think is of the utmost importance. And, And so... You know, Harry goes to school and the adults are kind of, it's interesting, the, the, most of the adults are trying to hide him or hide from him the more painful or difficult aspects of his history. Meanwhile, Dumbledore tends to be one of the most open people with him. He's the one that trusts him with the most information, which I find to be really remarkable. And it does mirror 
in a lot of ways, our experiences in our in our culture, you'll get people, especially in church circles, especially in Mormon circles, saying, "Well, we can't teach that because think of the children, think of the kids." We can't. I've been I've been chastised for teaching things in elders quorum because young men, eighteen year old kids, were there. <laughs> we should be teaching the kids this stuff. At early age. Well, that's what that's what Harry and the kids settle on by book by book number five. They realize they have to form their own what they call Dumbledore's army because the institution is not teaching them. In fact, if you remember right, the uh, position of defense against the dark arts teacher is cursed. Right. Right. And so they keep every year there's a new defense against the dark arts teacher. Right. And the and the institution ends up becoming captured. Yeah. And then so they have Dolores Umbridge who teaches them nothing <laughs> and t- gives them like a, a kindergarten level book to and she says they the ministry has determined that a theoretical knowledge will be sufficient for your fight against the dark lord. Right. Or the dark arts. They, they don't even believe the they dark arts. They don't Lord even is want back. to acknowledge yeah, they didn't that want to acknowledge Voldemort, Voldemort yeah. is back. And so the, the kids form what they call Dumbledore's army, and they, they sort of tap or recruit Harry to teach them because he's had the most experience in uh, spellcasting or, or fighting against dark, the dark elements and the dark lord himself. And one of the most significant spells that they use is Expelliarmus, which disarms the opponent. It takes the power away from the, the opponent, knocks the wand out of their hand. Expelliarmus, right? A little uh, Latin, a fun Latin phrase. Anyway, uh, um, it's all made up, right? Made up Latin. It's not correct Latin. <laughs> what, uh, what, what did you, did you find it? Yeah. Remember and perish not? It's Mosiah 4.30. But this much I can tell you that if you... Do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God and continue in the faith of what ye have heard concerning the coming of our Lord. Even unto the end of our, your lives, ye must perish. And now, O man, remember and perish not. Oh, that's awesome. Wonderful. The Thank idea, you for bringing that to my remembrance. The <laughs> idea of remembrance is a huge theme in the Book of Mormon the Doctrine of Covenants, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like, As soon as you forget who you are, what you are, what yeah. you can be, you're going to perish. And we, and we like to think, at least in our uh, the cultural circles that Bobby and I have run in, the, our background, the Mormon background, that we teach that. We, we like to think we teach it. But I want to ask the, the, read, the listeners, the readers, the, the, those inquiring minds out there, do you really think that we're teaching that? Are we giving... Is this, this is dangerous territory, Bobby Flood. You don't have to hitch your wagon to mine here. And remember, I gave the disclaimer. I hope you heard it, that those were my thoughts, not yours, on the, on the last podcast. But they can be your thoughts, too. But the point is, I don't want to drag you down into the mud with me, but in our institutions, educational institutions, uh, governmental institutions, and religious institutions, who's teaching the defense against the dark arts class right now? The dark artists. <laughs> okay, so it's worse than Dolores Umbridge. <laughs> well, you're right though. Like we're not being taught. I young feel like people, it's Dolores Umbridge in, yeah, in Sunday school. It is. The young people aren't institutional. The institutions that we we kind of grew up and our parents grew up trusting 
have spoiled that whether they were ever trustworthy or not is a different question, but people trusted them and they've squandered that. They squandered a big time over the last few years with COVID, which we've discussed ad nauseum, <clears throat> but they've discussed it. I mean, they've, they've squandered it in other ways too, going for, back farther and farther. And they're no longer out there. Look, these institutions that are supposed to look out for us are not. And so you ask a really important question. Who's teaching the defense against the dark arts? Either nobody. Or Dolores Umbridge is. Or it's Dolores Umbridge. But what we're being told is, hey, you just listen to us. Trust us. We'll take care of you. And don't worry about all that misinformation, those conspiracy theories and those lies that you're hearing out there. You can, we can be your single source of truth. Yeah. What is it? it, And that would be kind of, kind of well and good if it were, if they were teaching truth, (laughs) but they're not. And so the question, it's always the same question. I think the, at least for our time, the terrible question is how do we know who's right and who's wrong? How do we know who the death eaters are and who the, you know, the, Order of the Phoenix. Are. Well, that's the thing: is the Death Eaters take over the ministry? Yeah, first and in, the in school, book five. Eventually. In book five, it's by mm. uh, manipulation and behind the scenes, right? The, and they have them convinced that the devil isn't real, right? Right. What was that quote you love to quote from Stranger Things? <laughs> oh, the kid stands the kid. up and he says. <laughs> How can you, what does he say? How can you fight something that you don't believe in or something like that? I got to, yeah. it's a how great you, quote. Yeah. I'm, I'm butchering it, but how it's. How can you fight something when you don't believe that it's real? That's book five. And book right. five is interesting because you have the order of the Phoenix, which is essentially analogous to what you see in the scriptures called the holy order, or the, uh, some people might call that priesthood. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm, I don't mean that in the sense of, what you see on Sunday or in your local church or parish priesthood in my definition is a priest is a, someone who's been set apart a special person and a hood means the quality of being such a person. So this would be somebody who has remembrance, somebody who has greater light and knowledge and has been commissioned by God personally. Okay. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 20 around 50-ish, it says that we would ordain teachers and priests and deacons and all these people to priesthood based on the gifts and callings of God unto them, right? Instead of just everybody when they reach a certain age. Mm -hmm. I'll make a note and post a link to uh, that scripture just if you want to look it up. I don't want to Bible bash the the audience here, (laughs) but here's some more Bible. Here's a little more King James. Because we're talking about defense against the dark arts. Ephesians 6. And, and we, do, we teach this to the kids. They've even done movies about this stuff. But really, do we, are we giving them an adequate understanding? And are we, are, we, are we serious enough about it? And do we have uh, professors that can actually teach it? Or is the post cursed? Is the post or the position of teacher of professor of defense against the dark arts, is that a cursed position? Is that what J.K. Rowling's trying to tell us? Anyway, verse 10 of Ephesians 6, King James, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
put on the whole armor of God so that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. This just doesn't sound, it doesn't sound very uh, threatening. It doesn't sound very serious in the King James, right? Because we've overused the language. So anyway, put on the whole armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the attacks of uh, the, the dark Lord. For, because, is the word there, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And then he, then he goes on and he says, so take on the whole armor of God, God so that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day. Have your loins girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith to be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Not the word of God written in the Bible, the word of God that he speaks to you personally. And remember, faith is belief. It's it's a certain type of belief, a specific type of belief, meaning belief in the actual reality or hope for the actual reality, not a false reality. It's belief in something that's true and simultaneously the means of finding that out, which I've spent a little bit of time talking about in the cosmology um, material. But here you have Paul again indicating we battle not flesh and blood, but principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world spiritual wickedness in high places. So when we say spiritual, I, f- I feel like we've devolved in a way in our discussions, in our, in our lessons and stuff, that it's just a feeling, that it's like a temptation rather than recognizing that there is a speci- these are separate entities. These are death eaters and the dark Lord himself, which are depicted in bodily form. They're depicted in as active forces, they, they interact with each other, they interact with people, they manipulate people, they coerce people. That's what we're up against. Right. The, the armor of God is an awesome analogy. And we sometimes only depict it for youth and, oh, hey, like the movie you're talking about, which was made probably in the early 90s or late 80s, you know, with the, guy the goes, Roman, the Roman soldier, yeah, that and, gets, the, and the guy goes to the party that, you know, that he shouldn't have gone to. He drinks or smokes or gets a girl pregnant something or something like or has that. Sex. And oh, he had sex. And it's like, okay, fine, that that's one application of it, but that is not spiritual wickedness in high places. That's just a kid screwing up. Like spiritual wickedness in high places is a lot more influential and powerful than what we like to think about. And that's when they kick Dumbledore out of Hogwarts and install the, <clears throat> some other guy. Right. That's a, that's your government telling you to turn in your guns or else they'll come and get them or your government t- forcing you and your employer to get a shot. That's, or, an, that's another interesting aspect of Harry Potter is the wand itself is mm-hmm. essentially like a gun. I mean, it's, right. it's the it's the equivalent. It's it's far more than a gun, right? But but you can't kill with it. You can don't totally kill with it, but you can do way more stuff with this. And 
it's like it, it would be unthinkable to to have a wizard without his wand or a witch without her wand. Well, it's like yeah. they're defenseless. Yeah, they're they're no longer a wizard. Right. That well, I think that I mean they are, but they're ineffective. They're, well, I think that there are elements of uh, Harry Potter that show they're able to do certain magic without their wands. Sure, but and that there are other magical implements or whatever. But the right. wands are critical, and so this whole. <laughs> Uh, really, it's the first and the Second Amendment uh, that's under attack right now, and and that's like trying they're they're collectively trying to take the wands away from society. And, well, yeah, and your voice, and and of course, a voice is very important for a wizard because he has to utter the spells. Yeah, he has to say expel Aramis or carpe diem or whatever. Levi Corpus. I've been I've been listening Leviosa. to it Leviosa. Leviosa. It's uh, Leviosa. <laughs> Leviosa. And what's the one that's forbidden? The, the... Slick and swish. Avarda Kedavra. Yeah. Or Avarda Kedavra. I can't remember exactly how that's said. Avarda Kedavra. That's we, what it is. But we have spiritual wickedness in high places. And and they aren't just milling around up there in the, in the suites having hors d'oeuvres and wine. They're trying to kill you in the real life. Right. right, so you have the you have the uh, watchers element, the fallen angels, those who follow the devil, that corrupted the creation, that are not incarnate, not embodied, and that's when he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Incarnate means in in the flesh, mm-hmm. right? Literally. So you have that element of it, but then they have also those those entities have their counterparties or I don't know if counterparty is the right word. Uh, they have their cooperative uh, co- cohort, their co-op, their comrades yeah. right. in the flesh. Their they organizations, have, they have their, organization their the religions, flesh. their churches, their institutions, their secret combinations. Right. Well, they, but they, but the way they work is they infiltrate the regular Institutions like the Daily Prophet, right. like like the Ministry for Magic or Ministry yeah, of Magic. Yeah, what did what did they? What was their most effective tools in Harry Potter? They took over the press and the government. Yeah, and the schools. <laughs> Where have we ding, seen ding, that? Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> what was that textbook you read from again? <laughs> yeah, it's a documentary, <laughs> as uh, Doctor Nick would like to say. So, if the institutional defense against the arts teacher is corrupt or captured or cursed, we have to create our own Dumbledore's army then. Right. And, there, and the, the, the forces of evil are always fighting against Dumbledore's army. They don't want that to form. Today, we are happy to announce... <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. We're not forming, we're not forming Bruno's army. It will be a uh, secret if it is. <laughs> but... You do need to prepare yourself. You need to go to the sources of light and truth and defend, learn to defend yourself against these principalities, these evil, these spirit, the spiritual wickedness in high places. I, I think it's really interesting that she starts out the book where uh, the Lucifer, Satan character, the Dark Lord Voldemort, he is disembodied. Right. He, he has no body until the fourth book, and he obtains one. Or obtains his body back through ritual, right? Which is really interesting. And 
he's always trying to get into a body. And Harry, Harry, it's so interesting. I, I, I mentioned last time, Harry is sort of a Christ figure, right? Right. But you know, he's also an Adam figure. This, this is a little key that I discovered. J.K. Rowling makes use of the epithets of the, of the name titles really well. Like Harry's always talked about in these terms. He, they look at Harry and they say, you look just like your father. Right. But you have your mother's eyes. Right. Well, Adam or Michael is known as the one who is created in the image of God or in the image of his father, like unto God. Do you see how she did that? Mm-hmm. She repeats it over and over and over and over again. You have, have um, Harry, who's like unto his father. Harry, created in the image of his father, but he has his mother's eyes. Right. Uh, so the eyes are critical because the feminine is often associated with spirit. And, of course, he has his mother's eyes. So he has this, uh, this feminine element to him that allows him to sort of transcend just being a, a son. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a God. He's, right. <laughs> he's greater than just being a low, uh, it's what allows him to take on that, that mat- mature characteristics that allow him to fight the dark Lord is that he has elements from both his mother and his father. Right. And then he's also killed. During which time he's dead, he ascends to a heavenly realm where he's imparted more knowledge and greater knowledge. Yeah, it's a train station. Isn't that interesting? Right. And then he returns with greater knowledge and greater power mm-hmm. in order to defeat yeah, so, the Dark One. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I, I find it interesting she uses the epithets. Here's, here's another one. Hermione, she's always co- talked about as the brightest witch of her age. Mm-hmm. This is a very hermetic thing. Uh, Thoth, Hermes... Enoch, uh, Mercury, they're considered this, this bringer of knowledge to mankind. And Hermione, of course, it, I think I said this last time, I don't think I emphasized it, but Hermione, if you weren't listening, is the feminine form of the name Hermes, mm-hmm. Hermione. It's Hermione. It's so unusual. It's so unusual, and I'm surprised <laughs> people don't pick it up. I like what, what Victor Crumb calls her. Hermonini. Hermonini. <laughs> yeah. She's my Hermanini. Yeah. <laughs> so Crumb is a cool character. Oh yeah, it's so it's excellent. This whole story well, is so excellently executed. We, we really could dive into the 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 archetypes of a lot of the supporting cast, mm-hmm. like like the twins, right? Ron's brothers. Um, what are their names now? I can't remember. Fred and George. Fred and George. Ron himself is mm-hmm. is an archetype. What What's the archetype <clears throat> of Ron? Do you think? I think Ron is sort of the. He's the Sam Gamgee, right? He's the loyal. Yeah, he's kind of every companion. man, every regular guy. Right. He's the in some cases he he's usually never the brains. He's more brawn, but he's loyal. He'll do anything. He's self-sacrificing. Well, in the end, we find that Hermione completes Ron. She, right. He's kind of the every guy, and she's the the divine spark that comes in and gives him all the knowledge he needs. And we also know, you know, you mentioned this that Ron sees himself as a Quidditch hero in the mirror. Yeah, and his he makes him that his journey. Yeah, he ends up becoming that, but where he finds true friendship, true meaning is through letting Harry be the hero and helping Harry be the hero. 
and just being a guy more behind the scenes. And he does a lot that maybe the, you know, we know because we're the audience, but the other people in the story may never even know about because he does a lot of his heroics, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. Here's another epithet that I think is interesting because Hermione gets this, uh, she tips us off to the idea that we're dealing with hermetic themes, hermetic, hermeticism, hermetic themes, because you've got this feminine form of Hermes. And I, I like that uh, J.K. Rowling threw her in as a, as a girl, as a feminine influence, even though Hermes is technically a, a man. She provides sort of a practical wisdom, uh, a, a leavening influence, which is what I think the the women are supposed to do for the guys. Right, because like Ron, Ron, more often than not, Ron would just grab the wand or the sword or the well, hammer or whatever too. and just run in, and they would just get killed. Right. She re- she reminds them how important the knowledge, the the correct application of the knowledge is. Right. And the the Harry fills this role of of discovering the true narrative. He has to uncover the reality of what happened, which is sort of the the male knowledge role that that is right. most. See, the women tend to throughout history have done a better job fulfilling their archetypal roles than men. Men have one of the main is like your only job was to keep the story straight and you keep apostatizing from the story every time you turn around. That's what God is probably thinking when he looks at men on the earth. We change the story. We change it because we want dominion. We change it because it's difficult. We need to have patience. We don't want to think about it. You know, we, 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 we want to presume that we have heavenly connection when we don't have it. We don't want to presume that we're cut off. We, we, we engage in priestcrafts all the time. And, so the, the role of the guy is supposed to keep that doctrine. He's supposed to keep that doctrine straight. He's supposed to keep the, uh, the ordinances correct. And we tend to want to improvise, change, and you know, do whatever we want. And so Harry has to uncover the reality of what's gone on in order to defeat the Dark Lord. And of course, he has to have help from his friends and all that stuff. And uh, getting back to this last epithet that I want to point out, he has to get help from his mentors. And the main mentor, of course, is Albus uh, Dumbledore. Right. I'm not sure to what, what, ma- what to make of Albus's name. I, I've looked for anagrams. <clears throat> I've looked uh, a lot trying to figure out if there's any meaning to that. Of course, there was meaning to Tom Marvolo Riddle because that turns into Lord Voldemort. Of course, mort in French, Latin mortis means death. He's clearly involved in death. We know who he is from that. Albus, we know, is um, <clears throat> a very much a Thoth or a Hermes or an Enoch figure. And it, it shows up in the form and function. It shows up in everything that he does, but it also shows up in what they call Dumbledore or how they talk about him. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm getting all choked up over this. <clears throat> <laughs> she does play with names a lot, like you said, yeah. Sirius. But but yeah, Sirius Black, and then Lupin. Lupin, of course, yeah, the, he's a wolf. But Dumbledore, think, remember this: every time that uh, Hagrid mentions Dumbledore, he says, "Great man, that Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah. Great man, great man. He's a great man." And other people <laughs> pick up on that, and like the Weasleys will say that, "Oh, Dumbledore, he's great," or whatever. This is so clear. It's so clear that she's trying to point you to hermeticism. And again, I've told you in um, 
in last week's episode. Go read Hugh Nibley's One Eternal Round, the Hermetic version from Temple and Cosmos. If you if you Google up Hermeticism online, you're going to get all kinds of crazy stuff, and you're not you're not going to find uh, this this material symbolically typed appropriately. It's going to be weird. There, it's very clear. Rowling knew some really important things. That Hugh Nibley knew, that Joseph Smith knew, okay, and not everybody who's so, dabbling in the Ptolemaic cosmos understands this stuff. That leads to the question: How? Well, okay, but but remember, <laughs> how did she know that, it? But this is the big tip-off. Dumbledore's a great man, and in in Latin they call Hermes Hermes Tris Magestus, which means Hermes three times great, mm-hmm. and they don't say it three times. Uh, in fact, they rarely say it three times, but they'll say he's great, and they say it over and over and over and over. He's great. Oh, great man, that Dumbledore. Great man. They repeat it. This is so characteristic of Hermes that he is a great man, and he's three times great because he's ascendant to, to at least three levels, depending on how you look at it. You can look at it as he's ascended to the heavens or he's ascended to the third level of the heavens or whatever you want. But But she repeats that. Over and over and over again, I think to to make it abundantly clear that you're dealing with the, 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 these are the keys you can use to apply to unlock what she's trying to say mm-hmm. in her um, in her story. So, what is she trying to say? Well, in one sentence, <laughs> you're a wizard, Harry. You're a wizard, Harry. No, I think I think that actually sums it up because all of us are wizards in the sense that. We have the power, we have the supernatural power to overcome the Dark Lord. Well, and we have divine parentage. But, but like uh, I think we've talked about before, if, if you lay out the cosmos the way I want to, instead of you take the, the right side of the plan of salvation drawing, or you just use a Ptolemaic cosmos with celestial, terrestrial, and telestial, and you acknowledge that you came from somewhere above to fall down to this world, that's the big question. The, the Lord instructs Abraham in chapter 3 of the book of Abraham in the Pearl of Great Price in the Mormon scripture. He instructs him on the different planets and their rotations and their dominions, and he, and he explains that the stars and the heavens and the planets, they all differ in glory. And he kind of sums it up to Abraham saying, you know, so also with the intelligences or the beings in the cosmos, they all differ in glory. I, the Lord, am brightest of them all. And so... We see that at Hogwarts, right? We see varying degrees of of greatness, right? And and, and the 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 big, you know, the the wizard that everybody thinks is the greatest or the the great example is Dumbledore, and and you get that funny moment when he in book five when uh, they discover that Dumbledore's army exists. And the Minister for Magic and Dolores Umbridge are in there talking to Dumbledore with the Aurors, and they're going to take him into custody. And and he takes credit for everything, and and he's like, okay, well, Dumbledore, we're going to have to escort you to Azkaban. And Dumbledore says, well, you seem to be laboring under the misapprehension that I'm going to, uh, how is it that you say? Go quietly, <laughs> or right. come quietly. Right. And uh, and then he, uh, he, like, in the... In the um, movie, they have him grab onto Fox the Phoenix and burn up into a poof of uh, smoke, and he disappears. And the Aurora that's uh, a member of the Order of the Phoenix kind of shakes his head after Dumbledore's gone, and he says, well, 
there's one thing we know for sure. Dumbledore's got style, <laughs> you know? And it's like, this is, this is like, he, he's a Hermes type or a Thoth type, but also a Christ type. And um, there's that passage in Isaiah that says, he hath no form or comeliness that one might desire him. Meaning when, when you're in the world, when you're looking at him in the in the worldly sense, in the, in the physical incarnate body, it's like he's sort of in disguise. He's not, there's not anything that would tip you off that this is the son of God or that this is Hermes, mm-hmm. three times great, right? And I'm not saying that Hermes is Christ. It's just that the, 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 the followers of Christ follow the mold. They, they follow archetype. the pattern. He is, their, he is their, their war leader, their, their archetypal high priest, and they follow in his footsteps, right? So Hermes ought to be considered, uh, you know, one of the Lord's great ones and similar to God, like unto God, like Adam, right? And so, so anyway, uh, I just, I just find that really interesting because I think if we knew the Lord, and this is one of those things, uh, that is interesting about the chosen, the guy that they've picked for the, the Jesus there, he's not like a supermodel, beautiful type of a guy, right? But once you see, once you know him, you love, you love that character to know, to know that guy, at least the character that he portrays, you want to like that guy. You want to love that guy. And I think that if we, it would be a, a million times greater the love and admiration we have for Christ if we really knew him. And it w- the, 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 uh, the iconography that has devolved out of the Christian era has, shows this effeminate, um, dilapidated, tortured body on the cross. And that's how a lot of people remember the Lord. And I don't think that that I don't, I'm not saying people shouldn't have crosses or shouldn't do that or whatever. They, you can do whatever you want, and I think remembering Christ in any way is, is probably important. But, but our God has got style <laughs> okay? and, and, is, and is clever beyond belief, is uh, kind beyond belief. He is, uh, in my opinion, this is my, this is my opinion, were we to really get to talk to him and know him and remember him, I think we would we would come away from that with wonder and awe at how excellent, how, how, how the words fail at how excellent um, our God is. Right. And so just, just some of the things that Rowling throws in there, I think are really, really interesting. Again, I'm not saying that uh, Dumbledore is supposed to be the Christ figure, but, but it's our, he's, he's an example for them. Right. It's a, a type and shadow. Right. And, and, the best stories are full of types and shadows and similitudes and symbols and allegories. And that's why we love them. That's one of the things that makes them great. Like the, the movies and, you know, there's like, I know we, I know we really pick on the early star Wars, the newer star Wars, uh, trilogies, right. With Ray. But again, the reason it doesn't resonate with people is because they eliminated yeah. those types and shadows they they sanitized them it's flat yeah. they they made everything awesome to begin with and there's no progression and that's what makes life worth living right is progress yeah the, uh, the idea that as we age we're going to get bigger and stronger and we're going to learn and know more things right we're both uh, i don't know if i say adults but we're both 
we're both <laughs> we both are of age, <laughs> and we know more about certain things than we did when we were seventeen. And mm-hmm. you know, of course, our bodies are not maybe quite as <laughs> physically flexible, <laughs> not as rubbery. But, but we've progressed, and and everybody's like that, right? And that where you where people I think fail is when they don't progress, they don't seek knowledge or greater knowledge, and you end up being sort of a an adult infant in in the yeah. sense. And and there's a lot of people like that out there because they just they don't know the truth and they don't know where to find it. Yeah. Well, but, but these stories like Harry Potter are hints at it and they waken something in people or have that power to do that. It's not just a cool story about some some scrappy kids that overthrow the dark lord with their you know, their grit and determination and teamwork. You know, that's sort of an elevator pitch of it, but there's way more to it. There's way more to it. <laughs> And this is one of the things I find um, alarming about the Avengers material is Thanos, the character of Thanos is very likable, very charismatic. He's funny. He's solid. He's like, he's a leader. You kind of have to be, I think a little bit more mature to see it, but it's a, it's somewhat alarming to think. Yeah. Thanos is, He's he's portraying form and function of a Christ figure. He has set mm-hmm. his face like a flint. He is determined to accomplish the acquisition of the Infinity Stones, which is which is the only real progression pattern in the movies. Aside from now, there are like Thor, the first Thor, uh, Doctor Strange, the first one, and Iron Man are all also Christ. Christ stories where you have to you have a, a a hero that falls and then they have to repent change their minds acquire knowledge uh, acquire courage they have to fight the, the dark forces and save the world so these are very archetypal stories as opposed to Captain America where he just he's always been good and um, he's a government creation right but he's it's always but steve rogers has always been innately good he's right, he, never he's he's without fault even with even before his physical transformation he was a decent guy yeah that he's without fault and that's why and i know there are people out here there who are going to cry heresy when i say this but that's why you can consider thanos the archetype of christ and captain america the archetype of azazel or the devil of the book of Enoch, the, the watchers, because he is Dante's, he is Dante's devil where they find him encrusted in ice in, um, uh, I think it's at the end of, um, Captain America, the first Avenger, when he, they go through his whole origin story and then he crashes the airplane and then they find him years later encrusted in ice under the wa- under the water and that is so archetypally dante because if if you've read your divine comedy if you've read inferno dante goes from the surface of the earth which again this is your celestial kingdom into the layers of hell in the center of the earth and it gets progressively lower and lower or more towards the center of the earth and there he finds the devil larger than life. He's grizzled and hairy. He's got bat wings and he's got three faces and he's chewing on Brutus, Cassius, and Judas, the three great traitors. Judas, of course, betrayed the Christ and Judas and Cassius betrayed Julius Caesar. 
and uh, he is stuck in ice. He's encrusted in ice. There's, okay, if you're hearing this for the first time, I know some of my friends have talked about this, some of the people who are listening, but if you're hearing this for the first time, there is so much more to back this up, <laughs> right. which we're not going to talk about today. But yeah, Steve Rogers, the, the, the thing that's so, it's just so alarming because they set him up to be without fault. Right. He is so good. He's the guy that everybody wants to be. He is the guy that the devil wants you to think that he is. Right. And he's archetypally the evil one. And he's the leader of the Watchers. And they are always protecting the earth to keep it from being burned by the fiery beings that are coming to burn the earth. Go watch the first Avengers. They talk about coming to burn the earth. The the Chitare? Chitare? What do you call them? They're only mentioned that one time. Yeah, I don't remember. This army of... I've only watched a few of the Avengers movies. I don't... I have... I don't even think I've seen like I don't see a lot of the offshoot ones like that focus on a hero. I did see the latest Thor, Love and Thunder, and I've seen some of the others in bits and pieces. But I need to go back and watch them, pay more attention. They're very, very intentional. Every everything they're doing, and I haven't watched the TV series. Uh, I did watch uh, WandaVision or parts of it. Mm-hmm. WandaVision is interesting because you have the the Red Witch who is there there are there are things that set her up in the end game movie she breaks thanos's conspicuous double-edged sword remember how thanos has a two-edged sword mm-hmm. the sword of the lord is a double-edged sword it's the sword of truth okay she just she breaks it and um at that point i thought she is she is going to be a purveyor of a false reality and then they went on to do wandavision which is all about the red witch creating a false reality in this right. town <laughs> and it's really well done i mean they, they everybody I, I i only heard good reviews that people really enjoyed it because they they threw in the whole progression from year to year or era to era of the 70s 80s 90s 2000s etc and then so it gave, gave everybody that whole nostalgia memory element and um well and, and know- by the way I know you've done tons and tons of okay, I could go research on, on this. And I think Do we need to wrap up. Uh, yeah, we probably should here soon, but that that's a topic we could really go, go off on as the Avengers. But uh, maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe Harry Potter warrants a little bit more time oh, for next sure. week or down the road. I'll, I'll talk about Harry Potter as long as you want to, or Avengers. I, I'm, I think that the, the reason I'm bringing up Thanos is because I want to compare and contrast here. Yeah. You see how you see the archetypal imagery of Thanos going from level to level to level by obtaining each of the Mm -hmm. infinity stones. And you see Harry going through that as he goes from year one to two to three to four to five to six to seven. Right. Ultimately having to fight the Dark Lord and save his creation. And in uh, the Avengers storyline, Thanos destroys the creation or destroys half of the creation you know he well it, it it's as if he cast out the third part of the heavens it fits right. because <laughs> we're living in an age of inversion where everything seems turned inside out and upside down i and think it, there's no accident that that they started that in the year 2012 i mean that's right. the it's supposed to be the kickoff of the age of aquarius <clears throat> right and it, and you look at the 
the just the absurdity of certain things today, things that are being held up as logical and true and have always been true, which are absurd on right, their face. Right. We, the we touched on this earlier in this episode today, but like, yeah, the velocity of it is incredible and the the acceptance of it. The, the where you know the, it's being accepted by millions of people are saying yes right. yes up how, is down how can these things not be linked how can the destruction of our society and and when we say destruction a lot of people think uh i am legend or mm-hmm. or you know d- nuclear war or whatever the destruction of your society will have occurred and you will have been fully swept off the map when nothing resembles the good parts of what you had when you were growing up, you know, right. When it, when it's completely, uh, um, taken over by opposing forces and, and black is white, white is black. You know, the ministry of truth has erased history, all of that stuff. Once that happens then you have a destroyed society and they're trying, and that, that happened all... in the book of Mormon. Like re- remember Moroni and his father, Mormon lost many, many thousands, tens of thousands mm-hmm. of, of warriors. But it doesn't say that all the Nephites were killed. It says that the ones that wouldn't convert, right? Essentially, many just said, many trusted the wise and thoughtful government leaders. They they went with the other side, right? And if they were willing to go with the other side, and and the main issue about the other side was the narrative, the adoption of the narrative. Remember, Mormon is hiding up the records. Mormon is concerned about uh, the the guy Amaron who tapped him as a sober youth to take care of this stuff. He had hit up the records. These records had always been hit up. There are evidences in the Book of Mormon and my non-photographic memory can't remember the exact locations, but many times uh, Enos is one of those. The Book of Enos is one where he prays that the records will be protected because the Lamanites want to destroy the records. The whole struggle between the uh, the two factions, Lamanites and Nephites, was over the right to rule, and the right to rule always includes the right to say what the actual narrative is, mm-hmm. to say what the truth is. And so the Lamanites wanted to say that the power had been usurped from the rightful rulers, and that they were they were always in charge, and that Lehi and Nephi should never have left Jerusalem, and it was all their fault, you know. There was a narrative that the Lamanites wanted to have prevail, and the Nephites wanted to preserve the records that their that their fathers, the prophets, the priests, the temple priests, had left them, so that they could have knowledge of the actual reality instead of uh, falling into this. Whether you want to call it savage or not, a lack of recognition of who they really were mm-hmm. and and what they were engaged in here in the fallen world, and that's why. Those prophets were all the time telling the people that they would encounter, you're cut off. You're cut off. If you look for the words cut off, you're going to find it many, many times in the Book of Mormon. 60, 60 some odd times is my guess, if I remember. Well, we have powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places rewriting our history right before our eyes, right in front of our eyes. Well, and the speed of it is is amazing. It is. The internet really help speed that up well social media has social media is killing destroyed us. yeah speaking of uh, musk now owns twitter elon musk officially owns twitter right what's the big news is he firing a bunch of people he apparently fired a lot of people i suspect that it was less to do with ideological things and just the fact that that company had gotten it's really bloated. really bloated 
So he fired as much as 75% of the staff. And of course, the the media is treating it like a bloodletting. And uh, in some ways, I, I mean, it's really entertaining to watch that. Here's the latest headline. Musk is going to charge the Twitter blue checks $20 a month. Yeah, I've heard that. And again, he's he's trying to clean up the platform, get rid of bots and fake accounts. And um, I, I would be thrilled if he monetized it in that way. And then you could clean up the platform, maybe have less advertising and fewer mm-hmm. fake tweets. Um, again, I, I've said this before. I don't know if Musk is one of the good guys, but he sure is playing one recently. and. What's interesting about this is, I don't really care if he owns Twitter or not, but what's interesting is, for some reason, you know, he's triggered this, this volatile reaction, and people are, you know, especially in the press, in academics, in the medical world, are screaming about this. No, we can't have this. You can't have this. This is dangerous for our democracy. Misinformation, misinformation. All of their all they're doing is revealing that they do not want challenging ideas out there in the right. marketplace. They do not want their narrative challenged. Because if something is misinformation, great, fine. We can figure that out. We're all smart enough collectively and individually to figure that kind of stuff out. And there might be people out there who say, yeah, right, we're all stupid. And just look at where we've gotten ourselves. But we have to have public debate. There has to be debate about anything and everything. And there has to be a room for the person who says things that on their face and on their service are outlandish. And maybe they are outlandish. So what? We have to have, that has to exist in our society. Just like comedians have to cross the line because it helps us know where the lines are. Right? They Nobody have, crosses the they line. They have to cross the lines. We have to be able to say, oh, Wow, that for me anyway, that was too far. That's the that's the role of comedians. Yes, they entertain us and they make us laugh, but they also are a check against our own kind of boundaries and you know, whatever boundaries. Some mm-hmm. of them get really crass, some of them will make fun of certain people or topics that are, you know, supposed to be forbidden. That all has to exist. And yes, the crazy guy screaming about flat earth or or the moon is fake, the moon landing's fake, whatever. Pick your favorite conspiracy theories. I like the moon landing being fake, but go ahead. Pick whatever one it is or make up a new one. It has, it has to have a platform. You have to be able to say it because that's the foundation of free, a free society. Right. There has to be room for someone to say, the dark Lord has returned. Right, right. <laughs> the quibbler. The quibbler has to say it. Right. Well, in other news, Bolsonaro of Brazil supposedly lost the popular election to the the flavor of the day leftist down there. Yeah, a lot of the typical leftists are cheering that. I don't know enough about it to you, to follow it or to know what it means. It, I think it does mean a huge economy and that one of the world's biggest countries is back under the rule of a communist I don't want to say I don't know dictator much about yet, the guy. but I don't know either. But well, you had the issue where the the prime ministership in the UK changed hands a couple of times in the last ninety days, which is weird. Mm-hmm. I've heard commentary from some pretty rational people. I think that the that it's, it looks like the the globalists or the uh, oligarchy is 
essentially putting their foot down. They can't have people in these positions of power or these these leadership positions that aren't that going aren't working go, for them. That aren't working for them is what it looks like. So so does that what does that mean? Does this bode ill for the uh, the election next week? Are we gonna do you, do you have any? Do you want to change any predictions? You think we're going to have the election? <clears throat> I still could see something. I mean, it's only a few days away. I think the election will happen. I think there are certain races that are strange. Uh, the Pennsylvania Senate race is very strange because you have one candidate who's a former TV star and f- not a conservative whatsoever in Dr. Oz. Right. He's kind of your... Rockefeller Republican, kind of a Mitt Romney type, mm-hmm. probably a poser. Yep. And his his opponent is sort of a more blue collar, old school Democrat, but he's he he literally cannot speak. His he is recovering from a stroke, and his they did they held a debate and it was sad. Like he could not put sentences together that were coherent. And so you have a guy who's clearly unfit for the job with his physical health and then you have a TV star poser like it'll be interesting but they're to making see. a big deal out of that one yeah they are and and just because I, Trump endorsed Oz right yeah Trump endorsed Oz a while ago they're making a big deal out of that one you got the Herschel Walker race down in Georgia with serial loser Stacey Abrams I think that's her name then you've got there's the, the, the Utah campaign's gotten some, it's gotten really heated and nasty. And I still think it's just laughable that McMullen is running as an independent when he's a product of Goldman Sachs, the UN, and the CIA. And he even uses, I was a CIA undercover agent. He uses that as a positive talking point. It's like, do you know your audience? Do you know Utahns? No, you don't because you're a carpetbagger. But they're trying to make it seem like that's a really close race. I don't think it is. I just this morning I was driving back here to my house and I saw a sign in the saw these handwritten signs in a yard. It said, "No, McMullen. McMullen is a gaddy and robber." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought only in Utah. But logically speaking, there should be a massive Republican victories at every level of government in these elections because of the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and the Biden admi- administration has been a disaster. You have the COVID policies. The worst COVID policies came, generally speaking, from Democrats. Some Republicans bought into it. Like here at home, we had plenty of Republicans locking mm-hmm. people down. Luckily, in the state of Utah, we had a legislature that was able to push around the governor a little bit. So I I, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to use these elections to put their foot down like they seem to be internationally. Or if they're content knowing that they have in America, they have control over the media, the intelligence agencies, the government, and the other major institutions, big tech. Uh, big I, hospital, yeah, big I, drug. I hate to big say, big religion. I hate to say it, but rather than predict, I feel like we should just wait and see what happens, and then we can make our 
uh, assertions based on what they intended to have happen. Like right. this is a selection, not an election type of a thing. It's it, it, it's less easy to say that about when it, when it involves local races and, and whatnot. But like we've pointed out before, the lieutenant governor's officer office manages the elections in Utah. Yeah, Deidre Hendrickson, Henderson, I can never keep it straight, but she's out there. There's billboards all the, up and down the freeway. I heard on the radio some advertising like, oh, safe and secure, yeah, safe she's and done, effective. They're, they're spending a lot of money telling you that these elections are safe, safe and effective. Yeah. And it's like, methinks the lady doth protest too much. Why are you telling it? These are things that shouldn't need to be said. Right. They've never been said. And now they're out there with the, spending a lot of taxpayer money on billboards, TV ads, radio ads. It's interesting to say the least. Yeah. And I'm sure they would say, well, in the wake of all of the conspiracy theories about 2020 election and so many Utahns were duped believing that Joe Biden stole the election, we just feel like it's in the public interest to yeah. let them know that we're we're doing this the right way. You know, you can spend hours watching the montages of all the election deniers for the past 20 years that are on record. Yeah, every four years especially, yeah. the losing side says the other side cheated. And I get that. That's, and th- th- that's a natural reaction. It's just like when your team loses and you go home you and you go, those refs. stupid refs, man. Those refs are terrible. They shouldn't have it. Blah, 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 blah. It's human nature. I think it's gone to the next level. Now, I, I'm probably someone that uh, Spencer Cox would think I'm an election denier because oh, I, I, gone, I've looked at you 20, mean the cheating has gone to the I've next I've looked level. at 2020, and I, I was watching live when Joe Biden's graph literally went vertical, and everything shut down, and all the counts stopped. That's very suspicious, and it's worth investigating. It's worth talking about. I don't really care who wins these elections in, in that sense in the sense of like, oh, the country's fixed or something. But I do want, if, if the elections don't mean anything, which I, more and more, I'm not sure that they do, then what is our, because we're told, right, that it's our recourse. I saw a football game yesterday, you know, and along the sidelines, they had the word vote. So you would see it all the time, right? No matter what side of the field what end of the field the action was on, the word vote was there. And there's always these get out the vote campaigns and all this propaganda about the importance of voting because they want us to think that that is our recourse. That's how mm-hmm. we change things. And well, yes, I, and I no, think they also I, want to make sure that pop, populations that are statistically indoctrinated to the left vote more than right. the, more than the people on the right. But that's because that's the, mach- that's the way they built the machine to uh, give the semblance of fairness, to, to create what, the semblance of, of uh, a just outcome. What we may see here is letting some, you know, quote-unquote Republicans or conservatives win in the sense of that they're setting us up for the false Christ, the false Messiah, <clears throat> to come in and we all say, this is the guy, and he's actually a double agent or a deceived or deceiver. And as we, we kind of speculated, this might be what Trump did in a second term, right? They come in and they say all the right things. In the meantime, our, the destruction of our society Continues, is yeah. c- completed underneath this. Yeah. And then they can turn around and blame 
the right, the yeah. conservative right, the religious right, whatever, the, however they want to frame it, right, for doing this. So the fact that the the state is running those those ads makes me think that uh, it's possible because there's two there's two different possible uh, realities here. One is that we actually can have some effect through the vote, right? Which especially locally, I think the fact that they're running the ads in Utah means the, the that the opposite is actually true. That you do actually not have any effect through the vote, mm-hmm. but they want you to think you have effect. Therefore, they're running the ads. Somebody out there is pushing back. Did you see the billboard that says, "Seen all the government billboards lately?" Doesn't it make you think, or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody out there is like, it's like Citizens for Liberty. Well, I think that, but or that's whatever the thing is, called, those, those th- for some reason, those thoughts are dangerous to them. If, yeah. Because we, the humans, are the greatest resource on the planet. So they need the humanity, the resource of humanity, the human resources. They need them to do what they want, at least for the time being. And so they're trying to keep the, the people from rebelling prematurely or something, or, or disengaging from the system and not giving us giving them their energy maybe it's a spiritual energy thing i don't know it's just it's got to be both physical and spiritual but it looks like the fact that they're running these in utah means that our our worst fears ought to be confirmed that and i'm not saying you shouldn't go vote it's just that it looks like it looks like right. it doesn't matter they're saying it's essentially the same energy as the shots are safe and effective yeah, it's you, how you get your lives back you probably should go vote at least to see if somebody else has voted for you already. Because when <laughs> if you show up and they say, well, sorry, we've already received an absentee ballot, then you know. Well, or they don't want you to do that. They just want you to mail your ballot in and who knows where it goes from yeah, there. Yeah, and then nobody knows anything after that, right? Well, we should, la- we should okay. wrap it up. But I do want to throw out a reminder about our short story contest. We're serious about this. Oh, that's right. We, we forgot to talk about it last couple of weeks. We, we want you to, to write a short story and submit it. We go into detail. What, what episode was that? A couple episodes ago. Let me see. I think I might have put the... Uh, we probably should make a page on the website. I, I put the rules on it, right? Was it uh, best story ever telling the... It wasn't that one. Tell you what, we'll have to go find because we made some rules, right? Didn't we? Like, yeah, like three thousand words or less, I think. And we gave it a theme. The theme was reunion, if I remember right. We we should put a, a page up on the website that we can send people to with the rules and the dates it was and then the the, the, you got to have your submission by the end of the year december 31st somebody remind us what podcast was that was (laughs) that the one was it 91 was it uh, rules for magic i don't think i think it was just the one because then the next one was cosmology and then after that was great awakening was it the great awakening one or was it the one right before your cosmology? Oh, man, we, there's a lot of... <laughs> we, we can find out. There's a lot of having to l- sift through. <laughs> On the Great Awakening, Corey says, only an hour and 43 minutes? 
they want us to talk longer, I think. Well, we're up to two oh something now. Okay, well, we're going to quit here. But uh, okay, so I made myself a note that we have to find out the the story rules. Okay, we're going to need to remember to promote this for the next couple of because we're going into the holiday season, Mister Flood. I, I know. Mean, this I is going to be. We might have to extend the deadline. We can, but does anybody is anyone out there actually contemplating writing us a short story? I hope so. You and I have to write a story. So if it's between me and you and this other guy or girl. <laughs> Guaranteed a podium finish. Yeah. Bronze medal at least. <clears throat> well, write your stories. I think it'd be really fun to have a couple episodes where we read some of our favorites or depending on how many we get. Maybe we read them all. If they're good. Well, right. But our, our readers are going to come up with some good stories. Excellent they're, they're stories. They're the smartest people on the internet. Don't, don't be deterred by the high bar that uh, J.K. Rowling has set. <laughs> <laughs> and we need Those to, are longer than 3,000 By the way, words. we are efforting, we are trying to get J.K. Rowling on the program. I've reached out <laughs> to my people to contact her people. Uh, and we'll see if, if there's a problem and she doesn't show up, it's because of the incompetence or unwillingness of, of the, her people. Of the staff. <laughs> <laughs> if you know J.K. Rowling, send her the last couple links to these last couple episodes where we discuss her magnum opus, her body of work, her, her uh, great series, Harry Potter. We'd love to know. We'd love to pick her brain and talk to her about it in great length and detail. Otherwise, we'll just continue to speculate baselessly. Not baselessly. Just speculate. I'm comfortable with that. (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, Well, have a good week. That's it for us. Thank you all. Have a a happy Halloween. Um, Check for razor blades in your Milky Ways. (laughs) And on that note, we'll talk to you next week.